sure is a fun, fun morning so far. <laughs> it can only get better, right? <laughs> but, you know, Leilani had kind of the, the typical definition that we as a society think love is. We typically think that love is an intense feeling of deep affection or a great interest and pleasure in something. I mean, people, what's something you typically hear? I love what? Coffee. What was that one? Mac and cheese. Yes, yes. The Chick, Chick-fil-A now has mac and cheese. Not only do they have chicken sandwiches, they've got mac and cheese. It's not like Panera, Panera has mac and cheese. And we love mac and cheese. Yeah, there are lots of things that we say we love, but, but that's not the biblical definition of love. You know, love is more than just a feeling. Love is from God, so it goes much deeper than this. You know, and that's the problem with this. It's kind of, it's hard even to do the societal definition of love to each other, isn't it? But then if we're going to go deeper and dig into this scripture and do it like God wants, it gets even tougher because the verses we read to begin the sermon with this morning, for let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God and anyone who does not love does not know God. And that's something we're going to come back to throughout this sermon. If you don't love, God says, we don't know each other. That's a tough thing. And we're going to go through some of the examples of what really love is. And as we go through this, I want you to keep in mind, if you are not loving in the manner that God says what true love, God type love is, he says, I don't know you. We don't know each other. We don't have a relationship. And that's kind of hard because sometimes our own personalities and interests get in the way of that. So what does God say love is? That's where we need to start today. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. I've used this in many, many marriages. This is one of my favorite verses. I, this is great to use in marriage ceremonies and stuff because it is such a guide for life. It begins with, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful, and love endures through every circumstance. Okay, I already know I'm a complete failure at loving people after reading this. How about you guys? I mean, this is tough stuff. Let's just look at the highlight and go through the words in this, this passage. Love is patient. How many of you are very patient people? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I know those of you that have kids have some level of patience or your kids would not survive the week, okay? But, you know, we have to be patient. How many of us are naturally kind? I see that as something that's, that, Herman, Herman, you are a kind guy. You're the kind of guy most of us don't want to know, but. <laughs> no, I love my brother Herman, and he knows that. But yeah, how hard is it to be? That wasn't very kind, was it, Herman? <laughs> He's got an LSU shirt on. Lord forgive him. Um, yeah. How many of you, though, you know, kindness, is that something you see missing from society? You know, Karen was talking about, I think it's the Ellen, Ellen DeGeneres show. She, she ends her show every week with Be Kind. She has a T-shirt that says, Be Kind. I don't see that among people. I don't see that among churches even. Uh, you know, that's a tough thing, being kind to everybody. If you turn on the news at night, either the local or national news, how many of those stories will be about somebody being kind to someone? 
What percentage do you think it would be? Maybe that last little fluffy story they have at the end, you know, they'll have a good story. You know, we want to fast forward to the rest of it just to hear the good story at the end sometimes about how someone's been kind. Uh, one of the news stations here has a pay it forward segment where somebody's done something good and they're paying it forward to the community. Being kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. Anybody here struggle with jealousy? Okay, some of you do. Jealousy is kind of a weird term for me because I'm not like in, you know, in thinking the romantic terms of jealous, but are we maybe jealous of somebody else's position in society? Maybe the job they have, maybe something. What would be something you'd be jealous of, Leslie? Have you got any examples? Somebody having pound cake and you don't. That's great. With a side of bacon. Bacon and pound cake, only from Leslie. You know, but sure, there are things, people have things we want. Sometimes we become covetous, which the Bible talks about. We want what other people have, and we become jealous of their position and think maybe they haven't what earned it like we have. Some people may not have earned their position. Um, boastful. I've seen people that are boastful. It's all about me. I am so great. I am so wonderful. You need to follow me. Uh, pride goes along with that, being proud. So we're not jealous. We shouldn't be boastful. We shouldn't be proud. And we shouldn't be rude. Social media is the greatest enabler of rudeness in the world. Will y'all agree with me? It is very easy to be rude because there's no repercussions, right? Somebody can say something about you. How many people would say the same things in person that they say on social media? Most people would not. You know, I think in my day growing up, and some of you that are my age or maybe even a little bit younger, what would happen if you said some of the things that you say on Facebook to someone in person? That'd smack you in the face, wouldn't you? You'd get hit in the nose. Guys, what would happen if you said that to another guy? <laughs> yes, Leslie? What voice I was using, What voice were you using? I mean, because you can be playful, but some people, they put, some people, they will put a voice in there that is not the one who wrote it. It's the one they hear in their head. head that is... Yeah, people kind of interpret things with their own rose-colored glasses or whatever, their own voice, and they project it back out. And that is not what the original person meant in any way, shape, or form. But they have read into it with their experiences and things and have projected that to somebody else. That's very good, Leslie, very good. And that comes across as rude often. Um, Love does not demand its own way. Well, anybody that's married knows that doesn't work, right? Demanding your own way. How's that ever worked out for anybody that's married? It's a sharing relationship. It's a thing where you don't demand your own way. It, it can't be that way. If you're going to be in a relationship with someone, there has to be give and take. It's not irritable. Anybody here ever get irritable? Uh, yeah, that's probably the most response I've gotten all morning is, yes, I get irritable. You know, some of you folks, you really get irritable. I have a special prop for us this morning I found. Some of you guys need a Snickers. I only, I only have a fun size. It's not a mini, but I do have a fun size. Some of you need the giant size one to keep from being irritable. You know, but things do irritate us. Relationships irritate us. People irritate us. The news irritates us. I'll tell you one that's even better, and, and hopefully you, I won't get struck by lightning for this one. God irritates us sometimes, doesn't he? Yeah. He doesn't do things the way we would want to do them. He doesn't listen to what I tell him to do. Doesn't that irritate you? Doesn't it irritate you when he doesn't tell you exactly what he wants you to do and just says, well, go do something? Oh, my goodness, that's infuriating. It's like, God, just show me the exact way I should do this. And he's like, no, man, you got it. You go. I don't want to go. You show me. That's irritating. It makes you irritable when you don't have... The, how many of you, it irritates you when you don't have all the answers? 
Oh, wow. That's Whether it's a spiritual, a financial, a relationship, whatever it is, if you don't have the answer for something, that can make you very irritable and you, you just kind of just go, oh, I just want to figure this out. I can't do it. That's what I do for a living is I figure out problems as an engineer. And so if I can't take that same thing that I use at work and apply it everywhere, that's frustrating for me. You know, you ought to be able to go fix something. You know, your car, you should be able to look at it and say, this is what's wrong. This is how it's fixed. It's not that simple these days. It doesn't work that way, but it's very frustrating. It makes you irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. Another great tool for relationships is don't drag up the past. I saw a meme the other, the other day that my wife already holds against me things that I haven't even done yet. And I thought, well, some relationships may be that way. I'm, I'm blessed that mine is not, and, and we don't dig up things in the past to make new arguments out of them. But not, you know, not remembering being wronged. That's the way you truly forgive people is not remembering what the wrong was, isn't it? That's how you can truly put that behind you. If you keep remembering it all the time, you're never going to get past that. Uh, Love does not rejoice about injustice. We see injustice in our world sometimes. We shouldn't be glad of that. We should think, what if it was us in that situation? How would we feel? We should not rejoice in injustice. But we should rejoice when the truth wins out. That's something, again, I think as, as a people here, especially in America, we're losing focus on what the truth is because we get presented so many shades of the truth. Everybody has their version of what's true. So if you're struggling with that today, where can you go to find out? If you want truth to truly win out, where is the truth found? Anybody? God's Word, Scripture, the Bible. That's where we need to be focusing our time at. Now, it's not going to tell you every situation that you're going to encounter in life is not outlined in Scripture. However, the principles of how you deal with those is very clearly outlined. You can apply those principles to any situation you're in. And we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a little while. (coughs) Excuse me. Love never gives up. Sometimes it's easy to give up on love. Sometimes it's, man, I I have been going at this. I'm trying to make something happen here. I'm trying to work on this relationship or this or this spiritual relationship with God, or whatever it is, don't give up because God never gives up on us. And we never lose faith. How many of you ever lost faith? That's a tough thing. You know, how many times do we not see God give us the result that we think should happen and we lose faith in Him? Man, that's, that's hard. I was thinking about that today. This is, this is a, a thing that really struck me. Is one of my friends who lives in Florida had posted, let's pray that the hurricane turns. I think that's an awesome prayer. And several of us put amen, and I thought as I wrote that, do I really expect that, though? Is God going to do that? What's happened this morning? What have we heard about the it's taking a more eastward path and not going to have the direct hit? Was that because of my friend from high school's prayer? That's right. We don't get to decide what God answers. But it's frustrating sometimes to not know how he's going to answer. Should that make us quit praying and lose faith, though? No, that's the thing. We can't lose faith. We have to continue doing what we know, and we should always be hopeful. Whether I knew how God was going to answer that prayer or not, my hope was that he would answer it in a positive way and not cause and not allow devastation and things to happen in there. But you know, when we get all this mixed up with what his will is, sometimes I don't know what his will for people is. That's a, that's a difficult thing. Sometimes God has people go through hard things to make them better. And so we don't always understand that. 
Uh, we need to endure through every circumstance. That's still kind of part of that not losing hope and not losing faith. We just need to endure and keep going. Now, all those things I have given us this morning, how many of you feel that you can accomplish that in your life? I mean, that's a laundry list of impossibilities, is it not? I can't do all that. There is no way I can do all that. Well, why can't we? Because we're trying to do it of our own power. I'm trying to do it through me. I'm going to fix the problems. I'm going to show you how stubborn I am by enduring. I'm going to show you me, me, me. It's not the way it works. God has a specific plan for us. And this is found in 1 John 4, 9 through 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So who does that tell us love is all about? A little louder. Who's it all about? God. It's about God. It's about his son. It's about what he did for us. It's about the sacrifice he made. And why did he make that sacrifice? Why did he send his son into the world? The verse clearly says this. So that we might live through him. (coughs) God realizes that in our fallen human nature, we cannot do what 1 Corinthians tells us to do. We can't on our own not be jealous. We can't be patient. We sometimes rejoice about the wrong things and not the right things. And God realizes that. And he sent his son to not only so that we could live through him in this love, not that we have loved God, that we have loved, that he loved us and sent his son to be what? The propitiation for our sins. In other words, Jesus pays the price for the things that we can't pay for ourselves. There are things here when I am not patient, when I'm irritable, when these things happen. Jesus paid the price for that so I could have fellowship with God the Father. That's something we lose sight of so often is that there were reasons, you know, that, that Jesus came and that is it. But we can't love unless we live through him. Would you all agree with that? I, I can't do any of this stuff. And we're going to see, we're going to go through some verses here. This actually, this next passage, it gets even harder than what I've told you. It gets even harder. How hard is it to like people that you have things in common with, you find attractive, people that you've you have common interests with, people that are pleasant to you. Is that very hard? No. no. Let's talk about something that's a little harder. You've heard it said, this is um, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of, the fa- of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and, and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Wow, let's stop here and camp out a while again as well. There's a lot of stuff in this verse, isn't there? And there's a lot of hard things. The first thing you're going to see is you're supposed to love your, you know, What society says is you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I think I get enough of that message every day. Do you guys? I hear that constantly, how I should hate people that aren't like me. I should hate people with certain ideologies. I need to hate them. But here's here's Jesus' answer. I say, 
love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Oh, man, that just got real, didn't it? Love them. Not only love them, what else are you supposed to do about it? Pray for them. Now, how do you pray for them? Oh, boy, that's a good one. You know, do you say, hey, God, that person is persecuting me. I hope you make their business collapse. I hope they lose their, their, their family. I hope these things, you know, there are people that think that's what this means. That that's how they pray for people. Do you think that goes along with love? We are supposed to be praying that those that persecute us find a loving relationship with God the Father and His Son. That's what we're supposed to be praying for. That is so opposite of human nature that it's not even funny. That is so difficult to do. Those people that aren't like us, those that are persecuting us, you mean I'm supposed to pray that good things happen? That is not the way of this world, is it? That is not the way our society works. That's not the way we naturally think. But you're supposed to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? If you're just staying in your own skin with people that look like you, act like you, and it's all just, ooh, kumbaya, we all love each other, and this is wonderful, you haven't done a thing. You have not really showed love. You have just gone with people that are like you and have ignored those who are not like you, and we need to get away from that. You know, if we wanted to do something, um, this is a quote from a book that the ladies' group's been reading by Bob Goff. He says, if we wanted to do something nice for God, we would do it for his kids. I thought that was a, a super quote. You know, how many of you ever had somebody do nice, something nice for your kids? I'm sure everybody has. You know, what, didn't that make you feel good as, as, as the parent that, hey, somebody took time out and did something good for my kids? You know, God see, feels the same way. And I, have, I will tell you, there is nothing in this world that you will see wrath unleashed any harder on than somebody that does something bad to your kids. Am I correct? Somebody messes with your kids, that's not going to be good. So why, if we as a people feel like that, we as even Christians feel that way, why would we think God wouldn't feel that way? Do you think he's okay when people that are our enemies that we want to persecute them? Those are his kids. And I'm not talking about, we sometimes get this, we are adopted into his family, but God created, how many people did he not create in his image? None. He created all people in his image. That means different religions, different preferences, so many different things. They were all created in his image. They are all his kids. We need to treat everyone as if they're God's child. Do we do that? No. We fail miserably at that. We all do. We, we struggle with that. You know, the thing is, we don't get to choose who God puts in our lives, do we? You know, and that's one of the things that is sometimes frustrating. You think, well, God, you could have made this a little easier on me. I could have not had a difficult coworker or a difficult boss. Uh, things could have happened here that would have made things go a little more smoothly through. But we don't get to choose. So since we don't get to choose who's in our lives, we have to love everyone. What are some examples that you guys can think of today where we're not showing love for everyone? Just tell me some. Terrorists. Now, come on. We're not supposed to love terrorists, are we? Yeah, let's bring it to a real level here. And that was one of the exact examples I had in mind that, that she just said. 
okay, we have a terrorist, and he's a bomber. He's a suicide bomber. And he comes in, and he's going to die for Allah, who we know is a false god. But he's going to come in, and it could be anything. There's all kinds of people that, that's just the first one that comes to mind. There are many religions that, that may try and kill you for their false religion. But let's say he comes in, and he commits, he has a suicide bomb, and he goes in somewhere, and he blows up a bunch of people, okay? This is filled with tragedy, okay? Number one, the suicide bomber did it in the name of a false god, so he's going to hell, okay? How many people do you think that he killed are going to hell as well? We don't ever think about that. We think that, oh, well, you, you lost your life in a terror attack. Everybody gets to go to heaven. That's not the way it works, folks. Those people, if they don't know Christ, they don't get to go either. So think of the tragedy involved in that. Think about when we say we're going to what? We're going to pay back someplace for what has happened. You know, this gets really, really hard as Christians when we look at the way the world, world functions. How many of you guys love ISIS? I love ISIS. That's a hard statement, isn't it? Do you love ISIS? Do you want to see those people go to hell? Do we? We don't want to see anybody go to hell, or do we? What do you think? Do you want to see the guy that's the bomber? Are you glad that because he did an evil deed that he's not going to be in heaven with us? Come on, be real, people. Doesn't that make you feel better to think that he didn't have a chance and he's going to go to hell? That should break our hearts. That should be the worst thing that could ever happen is to know that someone died without knowing Christ. If we would look at that in our society and as a people and start learning that God, everyone is God's kids. Those, those people at ISIS, those are God's kids. They may have gone wrong just like our kids do, but that doesn't mean you stop loving them. And that's, you don't have to support what someone does in order to love them. You know, we, we don't have to agree with things. But we get so wrapped up in hating people that we forget that they have a soul just like us. And that's tough, man. This is some of the hardest stuff you as a Christian will ever, ever deal with. You know, know, what about our enemies? You know, a person's behavior does not determine their value to God. And that's one of the things I thought about in preparing this morning's message was how many times we define a person's worth by their behavior. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah, I was talking to Mark this morning, and he was, he's telling me Mark does a lot of work with our homeless community. Mark, are all those people where they need to be in life and doing the right things? No. Sometimes you can't help them from themselves, can you? Sometimes you can't do that. But should we stop trying to love them just because they don't always do the right things? Does their behavior lead them to be where they're at often? Should you stop loving them, though, because of their behavior? No. Now, we can try and coach them out of that behavior. We can try and show them things that will help them. But we still have to love them despite their behaviors. You know, and again, let's put this in a father-child relationship. Do you still love your kids even when they do bad things? Yeah, we all love our kids. You know, yeah. You know, there may be something bad happened to them in between. You know, there's some, some kids here that may can testify. There are consequences for your behavior, right? Is it not the same way with God the Father? When I mess up, what do I want him to do? What's the first thing I want God to do when I mess up? 
I want him to forgive me and love me because he's, you know, God, you're God. You're supposed, you love everybody. That's me. I messed up, but you love me. God's saying, because I sent my son into this world and the Holy Spirit allows you to see these things, you should do the same for everyone. You should forgive them. You should love them. That person over here should have the same expectations of you that you do of your father. Oh, wow. That's hard, isn't it? You know, but, you know, sometimes we, we almost rejoice in bad things happening to bad people, don't we? And that could even be the, the final consequence of them losing their very souls to an attorney separated from God. And we, we can't be about that. You know, 1 John 4, 11 through 12 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Let's read this again. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So how much did God love us? A bunch. This much and more. There you go. How much was that? How much did he love us? He sent his son to die for us. How many of you here this morning would sacrifice your child for a guy, guy that's a terrorist in ISIS? Yeah, yeah. Which one? <laughs> there are days. That, there are days that it could be easier. Yes, I do understand. That is that came from the mother of a teenager. So God, please forgive her. You know, you know, six teenagers. That was terroristic. There was it not? Yeah. Which one? Which one of you kids wants to get taken out? <laughs> We're looking for volunteers. But seriously, would you give up a child that you love so much? For somebody that doesn't care about you and would just as soon you be dead. We wouldn't do that. But God did that. And that is the expectation for us. That because he loved us that much. We've got to love one another that much. And one another doesn't just mean those people sitting here this morning. That are like minded in Christ. Does it? Again we, we have a really hard time loving those who do, don't look like us. You know. Do we really, really believe what this verse says? I believe most of us believe what the verse says. Do we really, really live like we believe what it says? No, we don't. Most of us don't, myself included. You know, do we really love one another or are we just playing the Jesus game? It's really easy to say you love everybody and God loves everybody and, you know, journey, we're about love and all this. And then you go outside of here and it all falls apart, doesn't it? You know, your job. Your relationships, your children, your parents of teens. You know, it's not easy to love all the time. You know, it just, it doesn't happen that way. But one of the things I want to transition into a little bit here is, and this is something that I see that we as Christians, we as a society, we continue to struggle with, is just because I disagree with you doesn't mean I hate you. Is it okay to have disagreements and not have the same same beliefs about everything. Is it okay? Is that how marriage works? That's how marriage works. That's exactly right. I disagree with you. It doesn't mean I hate you. I forgive you for that shirt. Yes, he does. You know, Josh is, you know, have you ever seen parents that don't lead their children right? He is teaching his, you know, you know oh my. Yeah, yeah, I have been saving that one. Josh, the first thing he does when Henry comes up and sees me is he says, Henry, tell him, bear down. You know, the Bears and the Packers are great rivals. He's teaching his children. He is teaching precious young Henry to hate. 
yeah, 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 I have met Henry, and Henry would be more likely to make Josh go astray than the other way around, yeah, 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 he does teach him forgiveness. He does teach him forgive me. That's right. But we, Henry has a very unique personality. He's a great kid, and I love him. But he does, as, as Stephanie and I were talking this morning, he does delight in aggravating people. <laughs> He's a wonderful kid, but he delights in that. But, but we make light of that situation, and that's okay. Because we do like to have fun here. Now, let's take what I've seen, and this is not in any way related to Josh here, but do some parents teach their kids the wrong things and teach them to hate Absolutely. Absolutely. Some people will go astray and teach their kids the wrong thing. You know, there's a group of us have been meeting in the in the city here. Ken Brown's been been to this. Uh, Mark and I have been. We're meeting about a thing called One Kingdom, where we are all working together with pastors that, uh, as Brother Alfred Johnson put it, some of us are lighter skinned than others. He's an African-American pastor downtown. He's a great guy. But he said, you know, we all don't look alike, do we? Do you think people, how do you teach your kids to hate? How do you think you do that? By example, example. yeah. We don't set out and say, you know, you see that guy over there, his skin color is different than yours. You should really hate him because God doesn't love him as much as he does you. That's an extreme. People don't teach that. But would you teach them by saying, how many of you have ever worked, and don't raise your hand on this one, and this can go in many different directions, have used those people? We use those people a lot, and that can be a lot of different things. We start to clump people together in groups that we define, we predefine what we think about them, don't we? There are people that we have predefined notions of, of what their values are and what they believe and things like that. You know, and it is very enlightening when you get outside your little culture box and start dealing with people of, of other cultures, what it really means. Isn't it? How many, how many of you ever get outside of your box and get uncomfortable? Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah. What's an example? Where's, somebody, where's somewhere somebody's gone that you were uncomfortable? Yes, ma'am. I lived in Ireland for four months after I graduated college. Ireland's not that much different, but it was just, yeah. Yeah. What was their culture? What were some of the differences you saw? Oh, that's a sad statement on us, isn't it? But what else? Anything else? Um, I don't know. I mean, I traveled to different countries that were more different than us in Ireland. And I don't know. There were other countries that were meaner towards me because obviously I was Jewish. Um, but, you know, different food and everything. It was just cool. That is cool. Yeah, Okay. What was different about that culture? Oh. Yeah. Let's, let's explore that. Let's expand that a little bit. Are there sections here? I don't see any African-Americans here this morning. Am I missing anybody? We do have some that attend that are African-American. How many of y'all are comfortable going into an inner city neighborhood full of African-Americans? Absolutely. 
They have the best chickens. <laughs> See, we have people that we stereotype. We think everybody that lives in the inner city is a bad person because that's what the news tells us, isn't it? All those people are bad. We need to, we need to be aware of them. They're going to kill you. They're gangs. There's, there's horrible people there. You know what? Those people, Miss Jean reminded me of this, they live in fear of their own community. Some of them do. And we have had some great conversations among black and white pastors and also have had some law enforcement officers that have come, including this past week, that have sat down and are beginning to discuss what's really going on. And you would not believe how many preconceived notions we have. I heard one guy say, well, it must be tough in your role as a police officer going in and being a policeman in these inner city black communities where they don't want you there. You know what his response is? What do you think his response was? You're wrong. He said, they want us there. You just believe because the bad guys don't want us there that we shouldn't be there. That community is not dominated by bad people. The good people's voice isn't getting heard and they want us there, but they're scared to death to reach out to us. How many of y'all experienced that in your white suburban neighborhood? None of us. None of us are going through that. So we sometimes have to walk in the other person's shoes. Now, would I agree with all the methods of every pastor in this, this group? No. Would they agree with me? No. But you know what? It doesn't matter. That's not what we're about. We're about coming together for the kingdom. And that transcends all race, political financial, any boundaries that you can think of, the kingdom transcends all of that because we're all one people in the kingdom. And it is sad that some of the worst division and worst hate and worst fear comes from within the church. Isn't that tough? God's telling us to love everyone, including our enemies. We can't even love our Christian brothers and sisters. We'll criticize them. We'll say, well, you don't worship on the correct day. Or, or maybe you don't keep the dietary laws. Or maybe you don't do this. Or you know, maybe you, you don't wear a suit and tie when you preach. Or it's just as bad to say, well, you shouldn't wear a suit and tie when you preach. We get all wrapped up in these things. Christine, I think you had a comment on culture a minute ago until I didn't get to you. Ah. We don't know. Yeah, that's good. And that reminds me of a story of culture of a, a friend of mine was Max Helton. He used to be the chaplain for the NASCAR racing series. And Max and I developed a, not a close friendship, but an acquaintance and things and talked about his ministry and things he did. You know, he started out 
as a missionary. You know, we started out as a missionary, Hawaii. Now, that is my goal. If I'm going to be a missionary, I can think of a lot worse places to go than Hawaii. You know, yeah, Maui, absolutely. That's where we're going to go. Journey Maui. It sounds good, doesn't it? But Max was a pastor there, you know, and in the community where he lived, there were a lot of people that were Buddhist. Do you know who he developed a friendship with? The first person he sought out to be a friend and learn was a Buddhist. He wanted to know. He went to their worship. Oh, my gosh. He went and saw how they worshiped and talked to them about their values. Do you know, as a missionary who was supported by some Baptist churches, that they cut off funding to him because he did that? Because they said, you should just be going in there and telling them they're wrong. You need to let those people know they are going to hell because they believe wrong. And you need to... Has that ever worked good for anybody? No, no. When I start out by insulting you and telling you you're wrong, you, I have already lost the conversation, haven't I? Yeah, exactly. You're wrong. <laughs> but yeah, we do these things without thinking sometimes. We need to get to know people, have a relationship with them, realize our differences. You know, if you truly, what did Paul say? I became all things to all people. We talked about that in our Bible study the other night. I struggle with that concept because it sounds like he's a sellout, doesn't it? Sounds like, well, when I'm around these people, I act this way. When I'm around these people, I act that way. No, what he was saying was, you know, it's relationship-based. It's about how we relate to those around us. Any other cultural things that anybody can think of? Yes, ma'am, Renee? So, I did not go to another country, but I did go stay with some family in Atlanta. Um, and That's like another country. <laughs> the culture is it's very different. different. It was um, the people that I stayed with, they were both lost people, and... Um, they were trying to, I, I don't know, get me to like experience things. And it just kind of like showed me how like people that are so lost live their life. And they would, they drank like every day that I was there. And they told me that they drank in moderation, but their definition of moderation is every day. <laughs> <laughs> you're killing a boy. That's what you're doing. I didn't say that to them, but I just. But you saw it. Yeah. And it was like the. You know, I don't even, I don't know. I just like, I'm like, you're, you're drinking because you don't, you have a God-sized void in That's right. your life. And it's really sad. So how, how did you handle that? How did you do? What did you I mean, think or did, how did you do, react to that situation? I abstained and, uh, because they, they offered me some alcohol and I was like, no. But, um, yes, offering alcohol to minors. There's no problem with that anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. No. And there's a good point here to be made. Are there things where we can be culturally insensitive as well? Are there cultures where alcohol is absolutely cool? You know, there are the in moderation, there are cultures that's just part of the way they live. They drink a beer with dinner or wine. You know, in the rural Leslie, don't go. She's saying Jesus first. He turned wine in. He turned water into grape juice. We all know that there was no, <laughs> there was no alcohol value in that. We have it up here at communion. There's, no, but do you know why sometimes we don't use wine? It's not because we think that a sip of wine is going to send you to hell. It's because we know that in our congregation, in our community, there are people that struggle struggle with alcohol. 
That's the reason we do it. You know, we were talking about this being culturally sensitive the other night in our men's group. You know, and I kind of likened it to, you know, I could go out to a bar and have a beer and it doesn't bother me. Okay? If I take a friend with me that's an alcoholic and I sit there sipping on it and tell him, yeah, it doesn't bother me. I hate it that it bothers you. Is that being culturally insensitive? Does that build a good relationship? Then why do we think it would work anywhere else in society? Why do we think that we need to change your culture to let you know Christ? That's spiritually insensitive. That's right. Leslie's right. That's spiritually. I was talking to a fellow that he mentors young men in the Chattanooga inner city. He's a police officer. And he told me, he said, you know what? I am not trying to take them out of their culture. I am trying to get them to take Jesus back into their culture. And I thought, man, what a fantastic ministry. I'm going to schedule a lunch with him sometime and talk more about this because that intrigues me, you know, of making missionaries in our own community, sharing Christ and letting them go back and share Christ. That's a fantastic concept instead of trying to make people look like you. And that's what we as Christians so much are guilty of is we have a lot of things that we expect everybody has to look like us. Hey, everybody here at Journey doesn't have to dress like. If you want to wear nice khaki slacks and a shirt, you can do that. If you want to wear a tie, you can do that. If ladies, you want to wear a dress, you can do that. Or if you want to dress down and wear shorts and a t-shirt and flip-flops, you can do it. You know, I felt out of place up here earlier. I had my shoes on. <laughs> we, yeah, yeah, people have their, have their shoes off. But we need to be more sensitive those around us and not just because we disagree with their culture doesn't mean we hate them either and we shouldn't. But moving on, 1 John 4, 13 through 17 says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son, the Savior of the world, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is the love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is so, also are we in this world. Main focus of that verse again is God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. You can't get around love in Scripture. If you want to abide in God and a God abide in you, which means we are in a relationship with God the Father, if we want that for our lives, which is a, the goal of Christianity is to be abiding in God. If we want that, it is centered in what? Love. And we've got to focus on that as a people. We have got to be able to do that. And guys, as I, I'll close out here in just next couple of verses. So, band, you guys can go get ready. But... You know, if we're going to do this, what is, what is the scary thing about love? Is that scary sometimes, loving people? Listen to this in 1 John four eighteen. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Are you ever scared to love people the right way? What are some, some of your fears there? Rejection, absolutely. That's one of the ones I was thinking. You reach out and you're rejected. What else? Renee? Uh, vulnerability. Yeah, showing your vulnerability to someone else. That's a very good one. What else? Persecution or retaliation. Persecution or retaliation. Very good. Not everybody that you reach out to is appreciative of it, are they? What else? You know, 
fear often motivates us to do the wrong thing, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we can we can think of all kinds of examples of this in society. We go automatically to the what ifs. If I do this, what will happen? You know? If I do that, what will happen? And that's fear. You know, we have to get to the point that love is almost a conditioned reflex for us as Christians. When we see the situation, we automatically react in love. Now, is that hard? Yes. If you are not abiding in God and God abiding in you, and the Holy Spirit is, is showing you these things, and like we talked about over in Corinthians, those things about love being patient and kind and all those things, if we're not in that constant relationship, we don't react as we should. But it needs to be an automatic, almost reflex type thing. What, what are some things that, ways we can show love in our community? What can somebody tell me? What's a way that just instinctual, instinctually we can show some love? What's a good example? Help with the food bank. Mark. Filling needs. Serving in our church. Serving in our church. Yeah, there's a common theme of all those. What is it? Serving. Serving. And when you serve, who do you put first? Others. others. You put God and others first. And that's a key thing for us is because we're often very selfish in our own. You know, but, but as we start to expand that and love people... And we are seeing that in ministry. That's one of the things uh, Ken Brown back here was with our lunch the other day. Ken, did you see lots of ministry going on in Chattanooga through that group? It's everywhere, isn't it? You know, that's, that's one of the things that to me is a highlight of going to these meetings. It's not who speaks. It's not the food. It's not the fellowship. It's the scene that God is working in our community, and we don't always see it. You know, if God's not doing big things at Journey, that doesn't mean that he's not working through every individual life here in our community. And we lose sight of that sometimes because you don't have to come in and say everything you're doing. You know, Mark doesn't come in every Sunday and say, I want you to know what I am doing for the homeless. You know, we don't. People need to internalize that and realize and do it out of a heart of love and a heart of service like Mark's doing. There are lots of things. Ken, your men's group, what's the project you've done lately? <laughs> well, compared to you, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Now, what'd you get out of that? Was that awesome? Do you think she felt that the people of God loved her? You know she did. Absolutely. Was anybody else in the community going to step up and do that for her? Nope. What about that? Was the government going to swoop in and rescue her? No. It was up to God's people to... Do you know, just through simple acts of kindness, how much we as a group of Christians could impact our community? You know, we're not... Guys, this is, this is a cheerleading session for us to go out and do something. There is very little that I do in this space here this morning that affects our community. It's up to you to go out and take what we're talking about, what we're doing as a family together here, and take it out into the community. We know we've mentioned in the announcements many opportunities. That's what Journey is and has always been about, is seeing us out in the community. I don't even know the name of the men's group that, that Ken's in, but I know he does work with a group of men in the community, and I'm all in favor of that. It doesn't have to say Journey on it. That's one of the things as churches... 
we're always looking for credit and to build our street cred and for people to know about our church and they'll want to come to our church. Well, then all we're doing is building a Sunday morning gathering. And that's not what we're about here. We're about you doing the work of Jesus in our communities. And, I, and I'm, I'm happy to see that happening here. Closing out the passage here, and this closes out 1 John 4, verses 19 through 21. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Are you guys seeing a recurring theme throughout these verses? Who are we supposed to love? Everyone. Everyone. We're supposed to love God and we're supposed to love those around us. And if we don't do that, can we have a relationship with God? No. no. You know, he says, if you hate your brother you know, he, he, who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can you love God who you haven't seen? That's what he said. If you can't love those people that you see in plight in your city around you, how can you love a God that you don't even see? That's tough stuff, isn't it? But guys, this is, this is where we need to be. This is where we as a church want to always be. We want to be focused on loving people in our community and reaching out to them with the love of God. Because if they don't have that love, we know they spend an eternity separated from God. And that should give some urgency to us today that it is up to us. God has left us here to deliver his message to the people of the earth. And we need to be out in our communities and showing love, whatever it looks like for you. There are so many different ways we could preach an entire series on practical ways to do this in the community and to those around you. But just for this morning, let's remember that. Guys, if you would, let's stand and we'll, we'll finish out here with some more worship. And I'd like to have a word of prayer with you as we finish here. Father, I thank you today. I thank you for, for your son and the sacrifice he made for us. And that you, you loved us so much, God, that you sent your very own son as a sacrifice for us. Even though we weren't doing what we should do, God, uh, oftentimes even cursing and blaspheming your name, that you still loved us. And God, you did, you did this for us because of love. And we can't even, God, attempt to show that kind of love to others because it is so supernatural and so powerful. But God, that is our standard that you have given us. It's we're supposed to love people like you love us, God. And I just pray, that is, that is my hope for Journey as a church, God, that we will be the church that is known to love those around us, God. No matter if they look like us, where they have the same political beliefs, where their skin color is like ours, God, we don't care about any of that, God. We just need to go out and show your love to those around us. And people will then know us by our love and thus they'll know you, God. And that's one of the most powerful aspects of ministry we can have as a church community is to be known for our love for others, God. And I just pray that you'll continue to bless as you've been blessing here and seeing doors open, God, for us to do ministry as a church and as believers and as brothers and sisters in Christ, God, I pray that you'll continue to open those doors and bless us, God, and, and continue to help us to remember the sacrifice you made. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.